I'm Hiva Shanbo, your host. Hi, everyone. Just when did life become so hectic? Am I the only one having a hard time staying sane amidst all the chaos and the million and one things we have to do? Nowadays, we wear our busyness like a badge of honor. I know. Trust me, I'm guilty of it. We wear so many different hats. Wife, daughter, sister, friend, working woman, mother, and the list keeps growing. It's crazy. It feels like if we're anything less than perfect, we're failing at life. Honestly, my way of coping with the heaviness and burden of all the daily pressures is to connect with people and to find the humor in it all. Doesn't that just make life so much more lighthearted and easy to digest? The insights and the good laughs, those are what I live for. On this podcast, there's no sugarcoating life. We have candid chats, spill the tea on life in the hopes that we can connect with each other on a deeper level. I host people from all over the world who share their interesting stories, their failures and successes, and reveal some of their biggest insecurities and vulnerabilities. In these interviews, we address life's challenges, tackle controversial topics, and uncover practices to unlock our greatest potential as a way of empowering us to get on a positive path of self-discovery and personal growth. Join me on this journey of heart, mind, and soul. I am so excited to have Maha Bulanin with me today at my podcast. She is a badass, literally. She has 30 years experience in corporate communications, PR strategy, and crisis management. Maha is an amazing storyteller, and she has worked with some of the biggest names in the world, Nagib Sawiris, Google, she set up Promo 7 Weber Shandwick in Egypt. She's worked with Netflix and currently works with Gary Vaynerchuk on his communication strategy, better known as Gary V. She's got her own podcast called Savvy Talk, and the list goes on. And now you're into NFTs, short for non-fungible token, and is planning this whole huge VCon conference in her hometown of Minnesota in May. So without further ado, Maha, I swear to God, I'm so excited that you're on. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and how, what do you do with Gary V? Because everybody, you know, everybody's like, wants to know Gary V now. And I think probably because of you. <laughs> and, and, uh, probably, yeah. and I just spotted you recently with Deepak Chopra. Okay. Okay. Just tell us, what do you do with Gary V? Namaste. Okay. First of all, thank you for that introduction. Like I am thrilled to be here. I'm also super impressed and wowed by your journey and your story and just huge fangirl over everything you're doing with your book and you have twins and you have a podcast and you have like a store. Like, how do you do it? I have no idea. I have been doing one thing my whole life and just focusing on that. <laughs> and that is communication. So my kind of DNA and what I like to do, Heba, and this is how like I work with people like Deepak Chopra and Gary Vee and, and you know, Nagib Sawiris and, and all the other people that I've been really fortunate to serve is that I focus on how to create value for them. So I always come at the table of like, what can I do for them? Like Gary Vee is one of the biggest social media you know, masters on the planet. He is a serial entrepreneur. He is the leader when it comes to all things culture. So like if TikTok's what's next, he knows about it before it becomes big. If sports cards collecting is, is next, he knows about it before it becomes big. If NFTs are next, he knows about it before it comes big. So what do I do for Gary? I find ways to add value. 
What does he not have time to do that I can help him do? Is it pitch stories to the media? Is it profile some of the great things he's done for his work? Is it help him set up podcasts whenever he goes to a city like Singapore or Malaysia or goes to Australia or goes to an event? Is it when we go to the Super Bowl, how do we make sure we're leveraging our time on the ground there to meet the most people and maximize those visits? So I do multiple things, but my main thing is how do I look at what uh, his business is and how do I bring value to that? How do I amplify that? And how do I tell stories around that? Yeah, you're a master at it and you, you're you're brilliant at it. And I'm, I'm always so impressed because you just keep on getting better. And it's amazing. My, really, the age, age thing. By the way, I've been, you know, you know, this is, I don't even think I've ever talked about this publicly, but like I've had so many problems like in my jobs and my careers. It's like, oh, I'm not good at this or I can't do that or I have issues with this or that. But it helps you learn how to get better. Like it helps oh, you yeah. learn how to deliver on the next version of yourself or the next career, or the next job. And so, I think mistakes and failures are really have been really good for me because it's allowed me to like pivot and learn so I can go. I didn't walk into this career like knowing what I was doing, like what working for Nagib Sogiris. I came fresh out of the boat from US. I had no idea what I was doing, but I put my head down. I focused on the work, working super hard. You know, that saying of being the hardest working, the hardest working person. Yeah. Like I'm doing, I'm going to be that hardest working person in the room. Like no one's going to outwork me. Like I'm going to be putting my head down, putting in the effort. And my dad said, you know, put your head down and let the work speak for itself. You don't have to worry about getting credit or are you getting, you know, the right appreciation or are you getting rewarded for it? He's like, if you do good work and you do it consistently, it'll rise above where people are going to like, Hey, who did that? Or who's, Who's helping that? Like who, whose work is that? And then people will give you that feedback or that appreciation or that value or that acknowledgement. And I never saw it after he told me about that. He's like, just do the work. I'm like, okay, if my work is just stellar, people are going to know who I am and what I do based on how consistent and good I am. If, you know, one thing, Hiba, you know, I'm in the reputation business. Like I'm here to build and protect people's reputations. So I better be good at it myself. Like I better know how to do good strategy or good communications. So, cause my reputation depends on it and my name depends on it. So anyways, but that's what great, I do. But you are a great example because you do, I mean, I've never seen you really, I've never seen you fail at anything, but maybe that's behind the scenes because you just seem to be getting better. And it's, it's brilliant to see you keep on going and keep on getting better. And about that, and, and about that success thing and failure thing, I don't see any failure in you, but yeah, that was, that's one thing I always, I for so me, many. for me that I always like try to like make myself feel better. You know, the guy who set up Honda that I love that quote that he has 19 success is 99% failure. I'm like, okay, I'm good. 1%. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, but, I've been yeah. fired. I've been fired from jobs before I've had like, oh my gosh, like nobody has like an easy ride, but what I do have is the resilience and the determination to like always want to challenge myself. Like, oh, I can't work for someone like Nagib Sawiris. Like he's a big shot. He'll never want to work with me. And then I'm like, well, if I get in there and do a good job, he's going to see, he offered me a job to be his office manager. And I was like, what? That is just like, I'm way overqualified for that. And then I went in and I delivered and he moved me like within like four months. And he saw like, oh my God, this girl knows how to do stuff. Not because I didn't ask for the work. I'm like, hey, I, I found a way to add value and keep thinking about adding value and thinking about 
I'll work hard. I don't mind putting in the hours. And so I did a really good job for him. And that obviously paid off because he introduced me to a lot of people. He taught me so much. Like it was a great school. It was also my first entry into the region. So it's like, you can't ask for a better platform than to come into the Middle East, you know, fresh off a boat from the U.S. and working for him, working for someone like yeah. him. Um, and then going to Weber Shanwick and then going to Google and then doing Netflix, like always raising the bar on myself because I like to be challenged. Like I, a lot of companies, like I, this is a real example. And I did work PR for Coca-Cola for like 12 years in my course of my tenure in Egypt. I'm like, a lot of people can do that. Like a lot of people can come in and help Coca-Cola sell more bottles or cans. And, and that's not something I want to work on going in the future. That's when I decided I wanted to do different things. I want to pick a challenge that I'm uniquely qualified to handle, or I have an experience that can do that. There's a lot of agencies that can organize press conferences and press releases. I don't do that. Like I obviously could do that. I've done thousands of press conferences, but I find value in building a personal brand in building something that's broken or taking something that's really hard to work on across cultures. And I want to take those kind of challenges. And so that was kind of a commitment to myself is like, how can I grow myself? is by challenging myself to do things that are really hard and then trying to find a way to, to kill it. <laughs> like I, I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do a thing half-assed. Like I'm going to go in and do it all the way. And also, you know, you're right about one thing. Like that's one thing that I know. And I am telling you that I know I don't do right. Is that I've got so many things going on that you focus on one thing. It's important. You're really good at it and you keep on getting better at it because you're focusing on it. You're obviously very passionate about it and you really know how to add value. I mean, so in that sense, definitely. I mean, I think that's a very good thing to take away is that you just are honing in on what it is that is your like core purpose. Yeah. I think one, I'll give you an example. This one just happened a couple of weeks ago. You mentioned Deepak Chopra. So I don't, I don't, you know, do, I'm not paid by Deepak Chopra. I don't do any work for him, but I met him several times. And during the course of conversations in the last month or so, it's like, he was going to be in Dubai. I'm like, wait, I'm going to be in Dubai. So our dates overlapped. He was there for, I was supposed to go date earlier and I wanted to spend one more day with my dog. So I switched my ticket. Literally, that's the reason I switched my ticket. Um, is because I feel so bad leaving Coco when my sister, I mean, it's a long story. So anyways, long story short was he was going to be there. And so he, he's a busy man. Like he's got a lot going on. He's like a world renowned person. Like I don't have any, so I say, you can just give me half a day. If you give me half a day, the day that overlaps. So I landed on the 21st at 7 PM and I had a wedding I like at four. And so I knew hair and makeup would come like at two. So I was free from like nine to 1 a.m., 1 p.m., 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. So I'm like, Deepak, if you can give me 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., if you can just give me that, I'll work on something for you. He's like, okay. So I like, I was trying to add value, but I don't know what I'm going to book. I don't know what I'm going to get, but I'm like, if you can give me this time, I'm going to try to find something meaningful for you to do using my connections and my network in Dubai. So what can he do from nine to one? So I say, I want to get him a meeting with a minister, not just any minister, like one of the most important ministers in the UAE. He, um, so I said, I reached out to his office. I'm like, listen, I have Deepak Chopra. We can do it, but we can only do it during these hours because I knew when I was going to be available. And those are the times I got approved from him. I also had done work last year for the Museum of the Future, which is this gorgeous building on Sheikh Zayed Road in Dubai. 
And so I knew them very well. So I'm like, it just opened. Why don't we give him a tour? Why don't we let him go see it? He's all about, you know, the future of you and how to take care of your mindfulness. And the, the future is all about mindfulness and wellness. And anyways, very long story short, we ended up going. I got him a private tour of the Museum of the Future, a meeting with the minister during that window, took some time to get to know him up front, have like coffee because we'd met each other uh, virtually several times, but not in person. And like created tremendous value. Like look at his Instagram. He posted this video. He actually posted two videos of his visit to the Museum of the Future. And it was tremendous. So then the Museum of the Future is happy because Deepak Chopra came and posted the video. The minister is happy because he got to spend time with him. Deepak's happy because he got a really great experience and was able to talk about things important to his agenda. I got nothing out of it per se, but like just the value creation of doing that was like everything for me. Like I wasn't paid by the Dubai government or by Deepak or anybody, but like, that's what I'm talking about is like, how do you take an opportunity and try to create value for somebody? And then the benefits will come tomorrow, the next week, the next year, or they may not come at all, but at least you can say you came in and you try to create value for both parties. And that's kind of what I do. Yeah, that's great advice, actually. You're right, because it's true, because I think a lot of people think they want to do something. They want to reap the benefits right away. You're it's a long term game. And it's, you know, yeah. it, you just have to, you know, you have to love what you do and just keep going. Yeah. So I love that about you. Ma. Thank you. Very inspiring. OK, so now back to NFTs. Yes. Now you're an expert. I feel like I've really brought you along the journey. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, after that, that, that uh, my answer on your podcast, when I thought I didn't even know what it stood for. So now I'm like all reading about NFTs and now you're, you've gotten so into it since then. So but actually, I want to just basically start like from scratch. So tell us somebody who has no idea what NFTs are all about. Tell us, break it down for us. Break it down. First of all, you knew what non-fungible tokens was in French, which is like, you don't know what NFTs are, but you know how to say it in French, which is like highly advanced. Hats off to you for knowing that. Okay, so NFTs, what are they? They are digital assets. And remember when the internet was introduced, that was Web 1.0. And everybody thought the internet was search engines, www. the information superhighway. So our introduction to the internet was that the internet equals search engine. Then web two came along and that was social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the apps that came into a phone. Remember when everyone had Blackberries and then nobody could use Blackberries because the apps didn't work on Blackberries or they had issues. So apps and e-commerce came into the picture. So now you can go to the internet to buy things and to learn things and to vote and to get information. So then we discovered the internet was so much more than just a search engine, that the internet is about transactions and business and leveling the playing field on the economy. Because if you put a store online, I can buy a product in Egypt and ship it to myself in the US. Like the internet became so much more. So Internet Web 1.0 was the internet. Everyone thought internet equals search engines. 2.0 was social media and e-commerce apps. Mm-hmm. 3.0 is blockchain. So a lot of people think NFTs equals art. And like we thought, internet equals search engines. So what I'm trying to explain to everybody is it's not just about NFTs. What NFTs is in digital art and JPEGs that people are talking about, these images of apes and all this kind of stuff, it's the technology behind having a digital asset that you can verify who owns it. 
So an NFT is a token, mm-hmm. a non-fungible token. Token means it can't be replaced or duplicated. That's verified on blockchain. So a blockchain is like a chain. It's like a ledger. And you can see it mints. It basically stamps it on the blockchain. And it tells you who owns this asset. Sorry, my dog is snoring really loudly. Oh, so it tells you who owns this asset. So when you have an NFT, you have a token or you have an asset where you can tell who owns it and who else, the chain of who might own it. So for example, when you would buy like a Rolex watch, it comes with an authentication certificate. Mm-hmm. Now you'd get that on the blockchain. So you would know exactly, is this a real Rolex or not? Is this a fake purse or not? Is it a fake diamond or not? You will be able to authenticate the ownership of a digital asset. The other thing that people need to know, just sorry, I know that you asked my question, is NFTs are not just about art. They're about the utility. So some people collect NFTs because there's a collectible involved based on a certain property or trait. But what you'll see going forward is that the NFT will now become a utility token for a loyalty club, for a membership. Like you might buy an NFT for the Hilton, and that will give you discounts at how many nights of rooms that you buy and free breakfast, or if you want to organize an event or have a party there, you'll get benefits. Every single brand and business in the world will have an NFT strategy. Just like every single business brand in the world has a website, just like every single business in the world has social media accounts. So a lot of people think it's not for me. I'm not going to do it. That's what they said about social media. And now they have those businesses and accounts. And then they have more customer attention is going. So that's the Okay. So I, I, cause I thought it was, it was linked to art. So I thought it was like basically getting a print as opposed to, you know, how like an artist will just do several prints of something. So basically that's a way of making it easier to buy the art. It could be about art. Like Starbucks just announced, I think yesterday, they're going to do NFTs. So like, I'm going to buy a Starbucks NFT. And that's basically going to be like the membership and royalty club. And I'm going to have the NFT that gets me a free cup of coffee every time I buy food. I'm going to get the NFT that gives me a visit to headquarters, a Starbucks headquarters. I'm going to get the NFT that gives me special uh, blended coffee gets shipped to me once a month. There's going to be those types of NFTs coming out with companies like Starbucks. They just announced, I didn't see what it is, but I'm just telling you, that's how NFTs are going to be used by every business and brand. You're going to have, sorry, Twitter announced that now you can have like your avatar, your profile be one of your NFTs. Instagram also announced this space. So let's say you and I meet for the first time at an event. Typical thing that would happen after the event, we go follow each other on Instagram. We look and see like, what were you up to? Who do you know? What are you doing? Oh, my husband at these events. Oh, she talks about her dog. Like they look at your Instagram profile and like assess kind of who you are. That's what's going to happen with digital wallets. Like I'm going to go in, in your wallet and see, oh my gosh, Hiba collects travel NFTs. She loves to travel or she's really into yoga. So she has a bunch of yoga NFTs. Oh, she went to this concert. She loves Bieber just like me. I want to have the Bieber NFT from going to his concerts. That's what's going to happen, you guys, in the next so year. Maybe, so there's going to be less privacy than there already is now. 
Not about privacy. And I, Gary talks a lot about this. This is how I learned about this is it, people like to talk about things through the brands they're wearing, right? Yeah, I know. So it's the same thing. So is that what kind of car do you drive? What kind of watch are you wearing? What kind of sneakers do you have on? What kind of clothes do you wear? You know, why do people wear Lululemon versus a generic t-shirt? Why do people wear Nike versus, you know, Yeezys? Like it's a brand. People communicate through brands. And so the same thing will be through NFTs. Like what NFTs do you own? You know, a lot of people in the space who are collectors and who have been in this for like a year and a half now, they'll look and say, oh, Maha, what kind of NFTs do you have? Like they're sizing me up based on like what my interests are. It's a common thing. And just like you go and see what kind of things do you guys post about on social media? People will look at your wallet. What kind of stuff do you have? Your wallets will be public. Oh, so the wallet's public. Okay. So how do you have, how do you buy the NFTs then? Is it, is it through a cryptocurrency? Good question. So the way that NFTs are purchased right now is if you have Ethereum, that's one type of currency, mm-hmm. but what they're doing now is they're normalizing it, which means you're able to buy them with credit cards. So there's a platform called Bitsky, which allows you to buy it through a credit card. There's a you know different currency. You can buy things through Solana. There's different platforms that have different ways of buying NFTs. But OpenSea just announced you could do it through credit cards, Coinbase announced. There's, they're trying to make it easy. So even Amazon is going to allow you to purchase things using ETH. So a lot of digital currencies are going to start to be mainstream on stores. And then the platforms that sell NFTs to bring more of the normies into the fold are going to allow crypto, uh, crypto purchases through credit cards. Okay. NFT purchases through credit cards, actually. I mean, it started, is it, do you think the whole the rise of cryptocurrencies and NFTs is basically due to the lockdown and COVID to make? No, I, I think, uh, I mean, I think people started paying attention when Beeple sold his piece of art at Christie's for $69 million. That was sort of like, you always need one kind of trigger point or aha moment that catches people's attention. And everyone's like, oh, we paid $69 million for like digital art for a bunch of JPEGs. And so, or they, there's a big joke in the industry, they're called overpriced JPEGs, but it's really not about the actual art. It's about the technology of the blockchain. And so I think that's when people first heard about NFTs, they're like, oh, I'm going to pay that much money. Justin Bieber bought one for, you know, $750,000. Like what's so crazy for a piece of art, but if people collect, you know, some people are in the space to collect and hold, like these are the early days of the Apple, Microsoft, Google stock. You know, these are the blue chip projects and companies that are coming out with NFTs that if you own them five, 10, 15 years from now, they're going to become very valuable stocks. I think Jimmy Fallon also like was a people, right? He paid for that ape and Paris Hilton. They had this whole thing on, yeah. on Fallon. And so basically when he bought it, that NFT, is it he owns that art? Can he print it and does he have it framed or is it just on this blockchain? Some people do that. Some people take their NFTs and put them on digital frames or would put them on like on some sort of a, like a canvas and screen and do that to like print them and keep them or put them in a digital like photo album. But it's just like having a blue check for Twitter. Like you have one, people don't see it. Like I don't have it hanging up in my house. Yeah, it's like having a stock, but... But a stock, yeah. you have an actual ownership. And I, I keep on hearing that NFTs, you don't actually have ownership of anything. You own the NFT that you meant, and it's on the blockchain with a smart contract. And you see which 
you know, you can tell exactly what you own based on an address of a smart, smart contract. Okay. And so like you say, going forward, people are going to have this wallet with NFTs of like all sorts of. Yeah, I have a wallet with lots of sorts of NFTs in it. Oh, so what, so what did, what do you, what did, what have you bought recently on NFTs? You well, said- I bought, I have, I have some V friends because I really believe what Gary's doing is like full time, not full time. It's just like a long-term project. I bought world of women. Um, I bought yesterday, I bought some Vayner sports kind of sports one sports passes. I don't know what I'm getting with that, but I'm going to do that. I bought like several of those. Um, let's see. I bought some curio cards, which was one of the first NFT projects ever to be made. So that's like an OG one. I, I, I am not a trader. Like I buy things and I hold Keep them. Some people buy them and then sit in the market and then see when the price is going up and then flip. I, a, I don't have the time for that. B I'm not good at it. So I just kind of stay in my lane. <laughs> so it's kind of like the new stock market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can buy and sell and trade your own assets. It's dangerous because like, if you don't know what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing it. And so, and how much do you, how much have you spent on these NFTs? Like what, what is it? Too much. More than I care to disclose. So like, give us an example of one that you bought and how much was for, it was for. Uh, well, no, some of them like a V friends. I bought V friends. I was like on the fa- same, like the minting day. It was like a thousand dollars or something, but some of them are now going for like half a million. Oh, like, my. I didn't spend that much, but like there, some of them they're listed for a lot of money. Like I, I only, I only buy like on the minting day or in the early, cause I can't afford like when they get to, I can't afford that. So what is the minting day? Explain that for us for people who don't know. So basically the day that the project's launched is usually one of the cheapest. And so it goes up in value after they have a roadmap and they bring value and they do activities. And then, you know, people could buy and sell them on the secondary market. I don't, I don't do that. Like I usually just buy something and then just keep it. So it's like a full, like basically a company that sets up a strategy and how, what they're going to do with these NFTs and how they're going to sell them and what products they're going to add. And Right. Yeah. So I'm launching an NFT project. Okay. So you're like, okay, Maha, you're not an artist. You are not a collector. I'm not, but I like the concept of membership and utility. And so a lot of people want to work with me. I have a communications company. I teach everything from personal brand to PR for startups, to communications, to public speaking, to NFT 101. So I'm going to do an NFT project. I'm, it's called Well-Versed because a big part of my DNA is I want people to be well-versed in topics because it gives them an edge with their jobs, with their employers, with their families. Communications is one thing that's never, ever, ever going to go out of style. You will always need to communicate, either in person, online, through social media, in emails, in presentations, with customers, with clients, with family, with relationships that type of thing. So my NFT project is basically scaling what I do at mass. So it's going to be really cheap tokens, like $200 so that I, and if you don't like, if someone wants to hire my agency, it costs a lot of money because it's resource and time of a team. So what we're going to do is we're building a platform so I can do training and education to lots of people. So like 10,000 people will be able to get in on this network. They'll join my NFT project. They'll get a token, which is a piece of art by an Egyptian artist, which is phenomenal art. Like I really wanted to give value there. It's stunning. I spent a lot of time working on it with her. 
And then you get to meet my network. So let's say all the people that I know, famous and not famous, important not people that I know will come in and talk to my community, bring value to my community, maybe do a masterclass to my community. So it, I'm bringing in all the relationships of everybody I've ever worked with, you know, in the last almost 30 years and putting them into this NFT project. So everyone who gets in gets access. Okay. And they'll get training and they'll get to do education and workshops and be part of the community and they'll get to sign up for things and they'll be able, we'll do in-person events. And I'm focused oh. on obviously the Middle East a lot, especially Egypt. Like I want to get back to everyone that gave so much to me. And I, I've been to Belad, so I want to make sure that I'm taking care of my, my people in Egypt in particular. And I want to be a role model, but like, how do you build that network? How do you, how do I network? How, do, how what's the playbook? How do I know how to communicate really well? What are the things you guys can learn how to do? So I'm going to scale what I do at mass. So you can't hire my agency or my team, but you can work with me and my NFT project and engage at scale at what we're trying to do. We've come to the end of the episode. Thank you for listening in. You can connect with me on Instagram at Heba Shambo. And if you know someone who'd be interested in listening to today's episode, please go ahead and share it with them. If you have any comments or would like to share any thoughts about the episode, please feel free to drop me a DM. You can also leave us a review in your podcast player of choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Remy Deezer. We're also on YouTube and you can find more on my website at www.hebashambo.com. I'll see you again in two weeks.